Okay, we're recording. Hello, hello. Hi. Hello. Hi, Matilda. Welcome. Hi, Sarah. (laughs) Welcome to And What Have We Learned? Um, Everybody, this is Matilda, and she's so awesome. She has been (laughs) super flexible about scheduling, despite the fact that she's literally on the other side of the world from here, in case you couldn't tell from her voice. Um, But (laughs) I heard Matilda on Liz Bentley's podcast and really, really liked not just your accent, but everything you had to say. <laughs> so <laughs> I poached you. you. I poached you from Instagram, and, and now here you are. And here I am. Uh, yeah, thank you so much. And uh, Matilda chose "I Love You Now Die," which is an HBO documentary. If you haven't heard of it, it's about the quote-unquote text message suicide, um, in which Michelle Carter and Conrad Roy were in a relationship, a text, a long distance relationship. And I'm sure everybody's heard of it to a certain degree. Uh, She was taken to court uh, eventually after he completed suicide and just a plethora of text messages were still on his phone. I was actually really uh, struck by how many text messages they procured that hadn't even been deleted from anyone's phone. You know what I mean? Like, um, but you think his phone would have run out of space? I, that's what I was thinking too. But I'm like, I guess if he, he just keeps this one thread. And I, I'm sure way going back for years, they had to subpoena that. But yeah, the cops got basically got to the scene of the crime and or the scene of the, I don't know, if, whatever, the scene of the incident. Um, and we'll get into everything. But they quickly fi- find, because of looking through Conrad's phone, um, that he and his up to you if you think she's really his girlfriend uh michelle uh, michelle conrad or sorry michelle conrad michelle oh my god what's wrong with me carter thank you his name's conrad i guess okay it's very similar um has been basically it there's an ongoing encouragement if not bullying at least in that in that moment is that how the text messages appear like just go ahead and do it hurry up get back you know but well she didn't text get back in the car and we'll get into that but so that was the sensationalized case that happened originally in 2014 and i the trial i didn't realize i didn't realize that it happened so long ago because it feels so recent to me uh but the trial happened in 2017 and spoiler alert um michelle didn't serve any time until last year and was just released this january so she what a time to get out welcome i know right welcome to your freedom yeah in like in a big city good luck with that um i don't know if she went back to boston or not but or massachusetts or not but she's well i guess he was closer to boston than she was so anyway yeah this this documentary is obviously covers everything but it's pretty remarkable to me how much live footage they have just start going from like the very beginning not obviously the his death but the trial it's clear that they started filming for this documentary immediately, um, which makes it to me really special because a lot of documentaries, it's all found footage, but because of this and because the journalist who wrote for Esquire about it, uh, Jesse Barron, who is heavily featured in the documentary, because he was writing on this piece during the, the time they I guess just decided to make his pieces into a documentary pretty 
immediately. I, I don't know if that's true. It, it's just how it feels. Yeah, it know. seemed like they knew they had a media storm on their hands and something people were going to be interested in. Right. Like, this is such a unique case, and it's very modern day, you know? Like, very. like this wouldn't have happened 10 years ago. It wouldn't have been physically so, possible for it to happen. Exactly. Yeah, it would, you'd, like, write a letter, and then it would, that would be, you know, be the, exactly. it's the just, incriminating it, evidence. It's such a modern day crime that I think people really latched onto it, and it seems so depraved you know how could someone do that yeah. so mm-hmm. well and we equate it to to like all of the instances of or at least i did on the outset of cyberbullying, and you know hearing about children taking their own lives because of being bullied on the internet children much younger than conrad even um you, do you remember that film bully did you watch yes. that one yeah I, my school took me to see it oh well there you go um yeah that one's really sad so i we're aware of that in this culture and I was kind of thinking about that while I was watching because I was like, I don't know that the kids are never or never punished or or anything for their part in cyberbullying. But I I'm assuming not quote unquote enough or whatever to the parents' satisfaction. So it, it is new. And it's sort of part of a group of things. And to think of it in that lens, it's like, well, a bully is just a bully, and that's all they're their only point, their only motivation is just to wreak havoc and to make you feel like shit. So at the outset, when you see that, you're like, wow, she must be a piece of shit, right? Because what else are you going to think? Um, but to me, the the really, really intriguing thing about, besides just how well-produced this documentary is, what intrigues me is that Jesse Barron, uh, the journalist, and basically the person who's walking us through this story, he's really unbiased, honestly. Um, he says, yeah, everybody wanted to look at it like this, but here's the breakdown. And that's why this documentary is in two parts, you know, yeah. the prosecution and the defense, which is so smart because you have to sit with how, how your feelings conflict. Like there's just no, no other way. Um, I went into this documentary expecting to see like a monster, if I mean. Yes, and be like absolutely. so angry. And what I saw was a teenage girl who was very much like me as a teenage girl. And you know, mm. I never told someone to kill themselves, but <laughs> still, still, you know, in yeah. her mental illness and her desperate, sure. des- desperate. That's not a word, but you know, desperation. Her yeah, that's yeah. a word. Friends. <laughs> no worries. And yeah, you know, that I was saw myself rough. in that, and I was like you know, in a different life, maybe that could have been me, you know? And I really liked that journalist. I really trusted him. I did too. Someone you see in a documentary who you don't know, but I just, yeah, I really trusted him. I felt the same way. And I was like, I'm not attracted to him, but he's very endearing to me. You know what I mean? So that I like, I could see, like, not that that's what this is about. Like, who would you date? But like, (laughs) (laughs) just, you know, but, but I, you know, I kind of liked him on site and you can see how, affected he's been but he's not projecting you should think this or you should think that even yeah. at the end even at the end I'm like I don't I still don't know how he feels <laughs> like but yes. that's kind of that's kind of like well I don't know how I feel sort of but yes I agree with you I mean she is a girl and she's just when you we see footage of her in the courtroom you know she was criticized for having that puss on her face as Nancy Grace <sighs> said oh my god Nancy Grace which is unfair. You cannot judge somebody based on a facial expression caught on camera. You just can't. I mean, like, like she, she was 17. She only made that face for half a second. Well, and she was and probably got really uncomfortable. Yeah. People, when people are uncomfortable, they make faces. I mean, I certainly do. I, I have a wild 
array of facial expressions. So that <laughs> candid photos of me always just like that. <laughs> so I mean, I, I can I can empathize with that one. Um, yeah. That said, though, she she's definitely very troubled um, to the point that it and we'll get into this, but it seems like she has more of a delusional disorder than yeah, anything else, which is, which is scary, which is risky because people that have delusional disorders don't understand the difference between what's happening in their head and what's happening in reality. So I, I actually really respected that as the defense, as opposed to them just drilling into the fact that, well, it's not technically against the law because that, that only takes you so far, right? Everything was once at one time not against the law. That's why legislature changes and that's why trials become precedents. So that in exactly. and of itself, I think they just wanted to use that, that to get it excused. So I guess we should just get into the case. Um, but yeah, uh, they the, basically, a little bit of background. You just rewatched the first part. Do you want to give like the synopsis of their relationship and how they met? So... Okay, I knew when they, like, text came up on screen and it said they only met five times in real life, I was like, this is a different story than I thought it was. Yes. I didn't follow this closely. Like, I kind of just followed the story in, like, headlines to see what was happening. Absolutely. And I just assumed they were, like, a high school boyfriend and girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And they they didn't live on opposite sides of the country. They lived an hour apart and at least one of them drove. So they could have easily seen each other on weekends. Like, it's not crazy... Yeah, she was basically in a western suburb of Boston, further out west, and he was in a just south of Boston. So they could have, I mean, it's, it was 45 miles. I looked it up and I was like, oh. And gr- granted, my high school boyfriend lived 45 miles north of me. So I didn't get to see him all the time, but I definitely saw him more than five times. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? So, I mean, I, yeah. So I can relate to that. It makes sense to me. Like when you're young, you don't have the ability to travel the way that you and I can now. Um, but but they do also talk about in the show, in the documentary, about how it, it didn't seem like either of them were really trying to see each other. No, and they would say that they'd make plans to meet up, but then they'd mm-hmm. almost get too scared, like they made it too real. Exactly. Because so I'm like, so you talk about how suicidal you were, but you couldn't meet up. That's a very strange dynamic. It's very strange. And I think it, I think it was part like... <sighs> I don't know, like he compartmentalized that relationship with her because that was where he could get all of that out was who else was he going to talk to about it? Um, And it it validated him. And I don't know if he ever actually expected her to go along with it because their dynamic really, it takes a sharp turn all of a sudden um, in the year of his, of his completion of suicide. Cause we see that for years before that, cause they were, what was, how many years was it that they knew each other? I don't remember, but it was a fair while. Several, several years. Yeah, at least three. Um, She knew nothing about the suicidal ideations until he was hospitalized. And then for the longest time, all of her texts that were recovered are like, you know, please don't die. And he's like, you can be my Romeo and Juliet, or the Juliet to my Romeo. And she's like, I don't want to die. You know, like, it was like he was trying to get her in on some suicide pact or something. But she, for as many problems as she has had did not appear to want that at that time. So anyway, so yeah, they had only seen each other five times. Um, they met at their grandparents' property or his family and her grandparents had some sort of a property. Yeah, and they're in like country club together or something yes, like that? Yes, yeah. yeah. And apparently you could live at the country club. I don't really, it I don't seemed, know how that. 
Look, I don't it's know. It's very American and something I did not understand. We don't really have country clubs here. Well, here's, it seems very East Coast to me. So <laughs> I hear you. It's a different, it's, it's almost like a different country. Um, <laughs> my dad's from the East Coast, but I grew up on the West Coast. So yeah, I don't, the only people that, the only people that go to country clubs here are like new money. Whereas on the East Coast, I think it's, you know, Gilmore Girls. It's like a whole like, oh, yeah. old money thing. So, oh yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's how they met. Um, and as we learn, especially in the first part of this documentary, Michelle talks to everybody at school and appears to have like a very healthy social life, um, but actually is really lonely. She struggles to make friends because uh, she seems extremely needy. Um, and all these girls seem like they're very nice to her, but they're wary of her because she's just a lot, you know, which I can I've been that person before. Yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> I think we've all been that person and also had that person who like is not mean yes. bad, but they're just you don't really want to be friends with them. You and just like, don't want yeah. So you go to their birthday party, they invite you, but you don't really invite them to yours and Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I certainly never bullied anyone, but I don't think these girls either did either. No. It's just it's people that you feel for you know, we all get to have our own choices and boundaries and you don't have to hang out with someone that you don't want to. And that's the nicest way to be about it. Maybe you already have your group of friends and you just don't need another friend. And I did have a friend and in high school that was similar to this. And I I couldn't help but think of her um, during watching this. I mean, she never committed any crimes, but she was really um, struggling with abuse in the home and self-abuse and you know um gender identity disorder which she wasn't out about at the time and she i liked her a lot we were in marching band together which i was forced to do by my mom (laughs) (laughs) um and so we got close we got to be close in that context but she was so intense about you know all these things she would tell me and she got really latched because i'm the type of person that's like, oh, you can talk to me, right? Um, and it, it just became this thing where I became like the keeper of her secrets, like about what was yeah. happening in her home. And eventually what happened um, was that, you know, I told somebody. And so one, the, one of the most baffling things about this case is that really a lot of this stuff you can see happening, but you can't really see why a reasonable person cannot see why Michelle never once told anybody, even when even at the end, you know, even after the fact, she never told anybody. Um, and so I, that was even beyond anything else that I, that was a big bone of contention for his family and for anybody who was on the prosecution side. Yeah. I had a lot of friends in high school who, you know, were self-harming or suicidal. Yeah. And I never told someone until a girl in my year did commit suicide and then after that, everything changed. And if a friend came to me and said they were suicidal, I'd go to a teacher. And I, because I just couldn't. Right. Because then you realize that again. how real it is. And it's almost like, did she not realize how real it was? Yeah. And did that sometimes at some point turn into, oh, this is playing pretend because he's not real. He's not really, I never see him. Um, yeah. And we, I'm all over the place, but whatever. And we learned that she, um, I mean, it all happened at one time. Um, we learned that she, uh, so she has trouble with friends. Um, she's a little ogre, over eager, not an ogre. Um, 
and over eager. And so she meets this boy who has his own need for someone to confide in. Right. So it's almost like a perfect match, but then it's like terrible. Right. Because at first they find each other and it's like, Oh, an outlet to somebody who, who's mine, like not mine in ownership, but like, this is our thing. It's mutual. Um, and from the outset, it looked like, oh, how cute, you know, like, again, I met my high school boyfriend through friends and it was, you know, I would have never met him before we didn't go to school together, but it, it was kind of a meet cute, you know, and I mean, we're not together now or anything, but I certainly <laughs> never, it, there never, nothing like this ever happened. So yeah, you, you, you don't necessarily think anything of it, especially the way that she photographs as a child, she just, or as a teenager, she masks things very well. Yeah, she just, like, it sounds so cliche, but they just seemed like a really normal set of teenagers, you know? Yeah, and, and of course, we know she was bulimic at the time, which, hello, I can relate to. Yeah, um, I, <laughs> yeah and I, I don't know about you, but I didn't have that issue until right before college, um, but it sounds like she was struggling with it for yeah, I was bulimic oh, in high school, and it was pretty oh, tough. I mean, there's no easy time, but I, yeah, high yeah. school, like, you have no privacy whatsoever. Everybody's the worst. Uh, you hate your body, no matter what. And yeah. then you have this big secret, and you feel like you don't have any friends. And having and maintaining an eating disorder really does separate you from everybody around you. So it just makes you feel more lonely, mm. at least from my perspective. I totally agree, but and almost every girl has some sort of disordered eating or at least yeah. body issues in high school, and it's so hard to know when you're that age what is crossing the line and what isn't, oh. and for your friends yeah. to know what's crossing the line and what isn't, and so you just, like, you know, half the girls at my school didn't eat lunch, like, that was just normal. Absolutely, and that's the whole <sighs> fucked upness of this, like, media culture where yeah i mean we know that all the housewives have eating disorders we know that all the models have eating disorders like it's not even the skinny ones like they still have to be bones or thin yeah and they all they all come out with their stories eventually and more power to them i'm not you know like dismissing them at all i'm just saying we all know but nothing's being done so it it makes sense that that's imitated in especially high school female culture but you're right. There are girls who can turn that off and kind of just be normal. And there are girls who like, it's like, this is life or death. Like I have to be thin or I, or I have to med- self-medicate this way or whatever. It's, it's a completely different beast, I think. I agree. But yeah, so, so she's dealing with this. Um, it doesn't come up till later, but she's also struggling with her sexuality, it, it seems. And oh, I felt for her so much when I yeah, this. that was, um, that was surprising to me. I didn't, I didn't see that coming. Um, but it, it, it would explain a lot <laughs> to me, <laughs> her feeling uh, of detachment, you know, from the actual relationship with Conrad, because in her mind, she's in love with this girl, Alice, that she was on a soccer team with once. Um, and in her mind, they had a relationship, but according to Alice, they didn't. And we don't know. If, who knows what's I mean, true? This thing is, when you're a teenage girl who's sexually interested in other teenage girls, you tend to have very intense relationships with other teenage girls, mm-hmm. even if they don't reciprocate it. It can yeah. just be a one-sided relationship. And it's, I mean, all teenage girls have intense relationships, but it can be a very intense romantic relationship that's just one-sided. Yes. And 
it is completely different than a friendship. And I had many of those relationships and they'd all end in disaster. And I'd be like, why is this happening? Why is this happening? And, you know, now looking back on my 20s, I'm like, it's because you were gay and you just didn't know how to deal with those emotions. And you yeah. can be like, well, I'm having a crush. And, you know, it's unreciprocated and that's okay. And, you know, yeah. I'll eat some ice cream and I'll watch a movie. Right. But, but if you don't have the context for it, it's just like, I'm broken. Like, what exactly. am I going to do? I'm sure I, I'm imagining. I mean, I know that I definitely... Um, had feelings for guys that were not reciprocated that were friends of mine um and I kind of think I did that in a little to a little degree like you're not supposed to like anybody else because we're friends or whatever yeah, you know there'd exactly. be that jealous it's like we're just friends but then there's this jealousy aspect and there were definitely guys that did that to me um so so I I can see what you mean high school is hard and adding that you know whether you know or not that you might have feelings for the same sex that just, that's like a whole other level because then you don't know how to talk about it. I imagine talk about it or who might other, other people might, that might have those feelings. Like I, sounds like a It's just making me like, do I want to define my whole life by this? Like, does one crush mean that I have to label myself? Does like, it's a whole big deal that when you're a teenager, like you just don't need to be honest. No, I bet. I, it sounds really, um, like I mentioned that friend that, uh, that I was talking about earlier, she also was dealing with not just her sexuality, but her gender. I should say say his gender now, um, but back then, uh, because he was born female. Um, So I think that was part of why our friendship was so intense, because I was like, in my codependency, like, I have to help this person. And I think they were like, really attached to me. And so yeah just a lot of notes of that came up for this so I could see where a lot of those behaviors came from just because of being adolescent being depressed having an eating disorder and hiding the fact that you might be bi or queer or whatever so she certainly was dealing with a lot um you know and the thing is we come into the trial not knowing any of that right we come into the trial much like the media did see seeing the texts and the texts on their own. I mean, they're bad. Like they're, they're really, really bad. That's, you know, the ones that are leading up to his death is like, are you going to do it today? You should do it today. Why, why didn't you do it today? Jeez. Why didn't you leave yet? You know? Um, and he, he'll say like, I, I don't know how to leave my family. And she'll be like, just tell him you're going to the store, which is like, that's not what he meant. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but okay. And so yeah, eventually she's trying to give him, he has, I, we should state, he had uh, attempted suicide many times previous. And ended this, up in the hospital. For and it. ended up in the hospital. And the, and some of those times absolutely predate him meeting Michelle at all, let alone talking to her about these things. In fact, he only opens up to her because he's been hospitalized. Um, and she's like, oh my God, unbeknownst to him, she's also struggled with cutting and as far as we know, as far as she says, one attempted or halted attempt at um, taking her own life by hanging herself. Um, and yes. I don't, yeah. When they both met, they just thought they weren't both normal teens. And I think part of that's what attracted them to each other. Yeah. And then they both found out they had these skeletons in the closet. Right. And, and then their relationship, you know, that predates these texts where she's aggressively telling him, stab yourself, poison yourself. There's a, there's a million ways to die. Right. Which is like almost a quote verbatim, which is, it's really bad. And it's abusive. It's abusive, but 
it isn't until part two that we real that we see all these texts or the end of part one that we start seeing how the abuse has been coming her way for a really long time from yeah. him. He's very manipulative. He's very hot and cold. Um, a lot of negging, uh, a lot of fuck you, bitch. Just kidding. Ha ha. Which is not cute. Um, and, and really manipulating her knowledge and her perspective in order to convince her that death is the only option for him so that he, so that he will only receive that feedback from her um, at a certain point. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, part of me thinks maybe he, that wasn't what he was seeking. He was maybe seeking her telling him not to, I mean, or attention. I, I don't know. I, I, it's hard to tell because he doesn't always seem to be speaking out of depression. Um, a lot of times it's, there's vitriol there. And then yeah. other times there's random romance. And then other times he's like, you're not my girlfriend. And you can see that she's really confused about the situation because on the one hand she'll be like well it's so sorry it's so sad that you're gonna have to die and then the next day she'll be like hey do you think we'll get married and it's just like and he'll be like what are you are you okay you know and that again it to me is an indicator that she, she's not thinking about reality she's thinking about like the dollhouse in her head you know and yeah, something something's off we know something's off very very off um and yeah, so, I mean, again, feel free to jump in because I'll leave things out um, by accident just because I'm sort of <laughs> telling the beginning first, whereas in the, the film, they tell you more towards the end first. Um, yeah. I just think with Conrad, sometimes when you're so suicidal, you're just looking for anything and depending on the reaction you get will just depend on where you go. Yeah. And so if she said, don't do it, you know, I love you, talk to your family, maybe he would have done that. But she said, do it. So he did it. Right. That's the, and that's the, the crux of this case. They're saying, like, if in order for her to be convicted of anything, it has to be definitive that he would not have died had it been for her. Now, we can't say he would have never done it had it not been for her. But on this particular night or in this particular relationship, could she have influenced him otherwise? Yes. Did she? You could have called the cops. Yes. But did she believe that that was, like, did she honestly believe she was doing the right thing? Possibly. Yeah. You know? I mean, it, it wouldn't be the first time that a suicide was assisted. But the thing here is that he's 18 and he's not ill. And he, it just gets really weird the way that she's pushing him. And so what becomes, def what becomes really the nail in her coffin besides all the texts between her and Conrad and all the texts between her and her friends in which she admits this is the basic, the biggest piece of evidence is she texts a friend that when Conrad was in the vehicle, um, his vehicle, he had purchased a motor and turned it on inside of the vehicle, not his car's motor, but a separate motor just to emit carbon monoxide because he was in a parking lot. And it starts to work and he gets out of the car and he's scared. But then the defense brings up a good point. He calls her. He didn't call his mom. You know what I mean? So it's like, again, where's this head at? But it could just be because she's the only one that knows where he is. So he calls her and he's scared. And we all we know is that they were on the phone for 46 minutes. But if we believe what Michelle told her friend, which we know she's notorious for being dishonest, uh, she said, I could have stopped him. One more I love you and he wouldn't have died. But I fucking told him to get back in the truck. Which is where, like, you know, 
the whole cold-hearted bitch thing came from. Um, and again, there's no like physical proof of that, but the fact that she can basically confessed it to a friend. And I don't know that she ever retracted that. I don't know if she I mean, had an opportunity. She didn't go on the stand, so. It could have happened and it could have just likely have not happened. Right. You know, yeah. with Michelle. Yeah. She had also said to her friend that Comrade had raped her. She also said to her friend that she'd yes. never had sex. She also told other friends mm-hmm. that she'd had sex with Comrade multiple times. Mm-hmm. You know, like, knowing that's the same thing, but she lied about a lot of things. She's not an honest person. No, she's somebody who says the thing that she feels is going to get her the response that she wants. That's... Yeah. And so then we think, okay, if she can be that manipulative with her friends, then she could be manipulative with him, especially considering how, men- how mentally ill he is at this time, to- at that time. Um, but when we see the earlier on messages, it does feel like he is in the driver's seat. And so she, she may, it's almost like we get into this whole thing where her fantasy mind is so intense and she may be like master manipulating him at a level that he has no idea because he thinks he's getting everything he wants. But meanwhile, her intentions in a lot of ways have nothing to do with him if you are to believe the prosecution. So do you want to talk about Glee? <laughs> <laughs> that was a bizarre turn that I did not expect this documentary to take. I only had, okay, so I should say I didn't watch this until Matilda asked to cover it. And as soon as I did, I was like, <gasps> this is like, I don't want to say delicious because that makes it sound good, but it's like, it's so good. Like it's produced so well. It's, it's so HBO. In a, and I mean that in a good way. Did you watch Sharp Objects? Yes. I loved Sharp Objects. Yeah, I did too. The theme really reminded me of Sharp Objects. Oh yeah. It was really similar. Yeah. It's so eerie, but beautiful. Um, yeah, I really liked the theme. Incredibly well produced, you guys. Uh, I, and it's, there's nothing graphic, you know, it's not going to be like blood and guts. It's really, it's just all about the different sides of the law. And also what fascinates me is human psychology and how much can we blame someone for how much responsibility or blame does someone have in a given situation? Because that's not um, as black and white as law enforcement would like anyone to believe. Right. Um, So Glee. (laughs) So the year before, this is actually, to me, this is really compelling. So the year before compelling evidence against Michelle, even though she is mentally ill, I just mean, I think it points to intent of a mentally ill person. Uh, So she is really, really obsessed with Leah Michelle. Leah Michelle, of course, was the lead on Glee. Uh, I can't remember her character's name, but I only watched like the first two episodes of that show. Um, I've only seen the episodes of Glee that Demi Lovato guest started. Oh, of course. (laughs) Oh my God, the other day, was it you? I I think my boyfriend was like, Demi Lovato's in this one because I kept talking about the the episode you did with Liz and I'm I went on this, I told him about everything you guys talked about. I was like, do you know this about Demi Lovato? Like, He's like, no, I barely knew who she was. She's so got a anyway. new song coming out in a couple of days. I'm pretty excited. That's great. Is it hopefully upbeat? I hope so. <laughs> yeah. You never um, know Demi. Yeah, that's true. Um, but anyway, uh, that's such a Demi Lovato show too. Because like, they're so, they're, you know, they're crooners, all those kids in that show. Um, yeah. So anyway, Leah Michelle, who's a, of course a Broadway actress, you know, she wasn't just on Glee. She's incredibly talented. Um, Michelle was like really into her, tweeted about her all the time, did the thing where she's like, happy birthday to like m- my, 
my bay or whatever which is Wednesday yeah those kind of things which is like those can be harmless um but then you see how much of what she says to Conrad to her friends after Conrad's death they're direct quotes not just from Glee but from Leah Michelle's interviews and all of these quotes and statements and well almost all of them come after uh leah michelle's real life and on-screen boyfriend help me what's his name cory monteith thank you cory monteith um overdosed i don't believe intention well we don't know if it was intentionally but overdosed um on pills and died and once this happens and leah michelle aka michelle's like idol idol and almost like if she's in a video game, if, if she's playing a video game, she's Demi Lovato in the video game, if that makes yeah. any sense. Like, that's her, like, alter ego in her, not Demi Lovato. <laughs> I knew what you meant. I knew what you meant. <laughs> no, 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 correct me, because I want to <laughs> Leah Michelle was her, like, avatar, right? It's yeah. almost like she's playing a game in her head. Which is another thing I related to, because that was Demi Lovato for me as a teenager. Like, right. uh, this is so embarrassing, but I literally used to bring... <laughs> a cake to school for Demi Lovato's birthday Aww, to share with my quirky. friends. But that's just quirky. That's not you trying to be her. Like, that's not that's you being true. like, guys, um, I don't know. I, I can't think of a quote, but like <laughs> quoting her songs or something. Yeah, that's um, true. That's true. But like, I was also very obsessive over celebrities and teenagers. So it's another thing where I was sure. like, <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. But again, you didn't think you were her. Yes, yeah. Michelle took it to a different level. Yeah, and Michelle, it was like she thought she was her, or she thought they were best friends, or that was just where her mind went to. She idolized her so much to the point that she started just trying to be her, because she was, I think, so uncomfortable in her own skin, which, again, I can relate to, the uncomfortable part. Um, And so she starts changing her attitude pretty much right after Cory Monteith dies, and she sees Leah Michelle get have this, you know, beautiful, sad meltdown on screen and then go on interviews on Ellen and talk about how he was the love of her life. And, and she starts using those quotes directly to talk to Conrad, like, oh, I love you so much and you're my everything. And he's like, huh? You know, and it makes me think it wasn't even really romantic before then until she started being like, well, maybe this is my boyfriend. And since he's going to kill himself, I'll have that notoriety. I'll have that experience. People will feel bad for me. And I'm not thinking, I'm not saying that she thought that in those terms, but it's like she consciously or subconsciously started pushing the narrative in that direction because it was already there. He had already told her he was suicidal. And now all of a sudden she's like, you know what? You should do it. It's dark. It's really dark. It is. It's, and it's hard. I agree with you that she's so young and she looks older and she is older. She's 20 in the courtroom and she looks older because she's skinny as fuck. So now you can yeah. see she's most likely anorexic now. I mean, unless she's so... That's what I thought too. Absolutely. I, that is not her natural body type. Um, and I I'm, was I'm like, not... you know, maybe she went vegan and started working out, but I highly doubt it. No, she has like no muscle. And have you seen the photo of her getting out of jail in that no, same outfit? In the outfit that she went to jail in? Cool. Emaciated. She looks... There's yes. no... There's like... It's her, her suit's hanging off of her. Cool girl. Yeah, I know. So, and I understand. I mean, that can, I went from anorexia to bulimia, so it can, it can go either way. Yeah. Um, and I can see that if you're in the middle of a trial and all this turmoil, then you would be like, well, of course I'm going to starve myself. That's the only thing I can control. Yeah. So anyway, she looks a certain way, but it, to me, even as soon as she moved her mouth, 
I was like, oh, I see her again. Like, I see that young girl in there. Yeah. And it's like, she looks so dramatically different and that might've been on purpose. I don't know. But, but she still, she looks baffled and bewildered and almost like, wait, are, are they talking about me? Like, that's not what happened. Like, it's a little bit. And did you notice too, when he, um, he's giving the judges, giving his explanation for his verdict. And he says, uh, when Conrad got out of the car, she, you know, compelled him to get back in. She's nodding. Yeah. It's like, girl, stop it. <laughs> what I thought, this is where like my mental expertise comes in. But what I thought was really interesting is the psychiatrist, I think who was working for the defense or who was hired yeah. at some point. Yeah, he was. about the possible involuntary intoxication she was suffering with. Mm-hmm. From the antidepressant she was on might have put her in a manic state which yeah. would explain the actions she took which would explain them and then another psychiatrist is like that's very unlikely to happen but i was on those exact same drugs when i was 16 and i was mm. bulimic which is documentary says which is how i found out bulimia can make those drugs have an adverse side effect oh which yeah i did not know um would have liked if my psychiatrist had told me that but um <laughs> but i had a manic episode when i was 16 because of those drugs yeah and I luckily no, I-, I didn't kill anyone but right. you know, it does happen and yes my experience makes me more likely to believe that it happened to someone else and that's my bias but it no, does I, happen. I agree with you I was actually a little bit like okay lady you can't say it never happens because you don't yeah. know that you're not looking at statistics you're saying in my practice but okay but you probably don't prescribe those drugs because you know that would maybe be a bad choice um yeah. but like ugh, I forgot what I was gonna say <laughs> sorry so Yes, I agree with you. That is a much more common side effect than is given credence, especially if there's multiple drugs and especially if you're young and you don't know what's going to happen. And if you're wired differently, it's like, you know how if you have ADD, caffeine will make you tired? Yeah. It's like if you're wired differently, it doesn't matter what the drug is intended to do. It matters what it does. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Have you ever, you know the expression folie a deux, a madness, madness of two? It's an actual yeah. psychological condition where um, two people uh, are so influential on each other that there's a few famous cases. There was a case of sisters that like laid down on the railroad tracks and died. Yeah. yeah. Um, Those sisters who also like would put on like the BBC version of cops like running onto the road. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So they, after one had murdered another and like, with a brick or something not the sister but murdered a guy it was Jesus. insane i have to go revisit that one but um, <laughs> uh but it's basically two people have so much influence over each other and one at least one of them is paranoid or has some sort of paranoid disorder or delusional disorder or something that makes them believe that the world is different than it is and then they're so close that the other person believes that too and th- that really didn't get brought up at all I don't know if it's like a good defense in court, but to me, I was like, that's what makes this make sense to me is if it was almost like a suicide pact, except that the pact was, you're going to let me do this. Right. Yeah. It did seem like that. It was. And she was really led to believe either by him or by her own delusions that it wasn't going to be real almost. I mean, after he's dead, she keeps texting him and calling him because she's like, are you really dead? You know, I miss you. I miss you. I love you. 
and to me that connotes regret like oh shit did he actually do it this time regardless of what she was saying because every other time he would he would fuck with her and he'd be like see you never like um this is the last good night and then two days later he'd be like oh, just kidding i didn't kill myself like you know so she may have i mean who knows what she thought maybe she was just mad that this was still the conversation <laughs> When they talk about, like, how she asked Comrade's sister for some of his ashes. Oh, that was icky. That was really And it's creepy. like, you guys were barely friends. Like, you don't get yeah. ashes. That, that sister talking about it was so uncomfortable. I felt so yeah. bad for her. And I felt so mom, bad for Comrade's family. Absolutely. I mean, I understand that, like, there were issues with his dad. But all that aside, this is... It is true that if he hadn't had, you know, this kind of... Uh, codependent relationship with someone that was yeah. you know manipulated possibly manipulating uh then yeah he probably would have been much more receptive to help and possibly express those feelings to somebody who would help him instead of michelle so of course it's a factor we can't take that away it's like a person can't you know cheat on a partner without another person right but yeah. But then again, it's like, would it happen with someone else? Would he have, would he have found somebody else or, or not? And that, I, just, I guess, yeah. I Go think ahead. with both of these kids, if they just had like two more years out of high school and were able oh, to get yeah. you know, friends who actually loved them and supported them mm-hmm. into therapy and maybe meds that actually worked, like they could have had such different lives, you know? Yeah. It's a real tragedy in all this. I, I've been talking about this. I was talking to to my boyfriend about this, about how it's really weird, but in certain people, I feel like especially in men, young men, there can be a coexistence of extreme, uh, like, low self-esteem, but also this, like, narcissism. Like, I'm God, but I suck. And I feel like he rides that line um and he talks in his video i don't know who it was for but he made a video about social anxiety this was so hard to watch it was impossible to watch but it's also like okay that was really close to before he took his own life so there's part of himself advocating right still and also like social anxiety is a definable issue it's a treatable issue it's not something out there in the ether that we can't diagnose you know what i mean like there's so many practical methods and so it just it's hard to watch especially because you're like god if i had seen that i mean i feel like i could have helped you know like just doing what i do um but or or i could have found someone to help i'm not saying i could cure his suicidal tendencies i'm just saying like no i didn't think that there's so many people that he that were probably out there that he could have talked to, but, but he had Michelle. I wonder a lot while watching this, and it was never brought up in the documentary, but I wondered if Michelle had a Tumblr. Cause I find it hard to believe that if she was a depressed teen in this time frame, <laughs> that she wouldn't have. Yeah. And especially like, how social media as she was. Exactly. And like, she, like there were kids all, over Tumblr telling each other to kill themselves all the time. Yeah. So, like, if that was true, she could have been so desensitized to that. And let's not forget that, I mean, there's not, there aren't just, this is all of just the uh, athlete, Michelle Carter. Um, (laughs) I tried. Uh, There are so many 
uh, oh, sites that are like pro-anorexia, pro-bulimia. Yeah. There's just as many that are pro-suicide, I'm assuming. I mean, he was on a few of them. I've never looked for oh, them because I, I haven't, I'm glad to say that I haven't been through that, but also because I don't want that on my search history. Um, <laughs> but, um, and then, yeah, but then you look at the fact that he did leave notes for everybody. So it's not like it wasn't his intention, you know, yeah. but it is hard. You, you know, I do believe that people can be abused and manipulated. That I think the hard thing about this relationship is that the abuse and the manipulation almost seems equal at times. Yeah. Especially with the whole glee thing. So, um, so yeah. Anyway, Michelle, initially, when she goes to court, um, the prosecution is just drilling into not into her because they're not talking to her, but using basically every quote unquote friend she had from school to read the text message exchanges that they had. And at first it was just about how like she was really desperate and constantly asking everyone to hang out and they always said no. And then it, of course it turned into where she, this is a big one guys. She, a week before Conrad's death, was it only a week, a week or two weeks? Was, she was, I thought it was a couple days. Yeah. She was talking with him, knew he was alive and telling her friends, at least Sam Boardman and the other one, I think her name was Lexi, uh, that he was missing. Conrad's missing. I can't find him. I, he's suicidal. I'm worried about him, which also is like, okay, if she were so, truly devoted to keeping his secret because he at one point said don't tell anybody about this if she were so devoted to keeping his secret that she wouldn't even tell after the fact she wouldn't even call the police why was she ready to tell her friends before he was even dead yeah this was really damning evidence and like the yes. prosecution was saying it was a, her walkthrough you know it was her seeing how her friends would react if this happened yeah. yeah and they all they did they all showed up at her door when it really did happen yeah. and i mean the the the, um, the Henry Winkler guy that <laughs> he reminded me of Henry Winkler the um, <laughs> the psychiatrist for the defense he was saying that her friends abandoned her but I'm like they didn't do anything except tell the truth like they didn't yeah. do anything wrong I mean they were I would, in the right how scared would you be if you found out yeah. that this girl that you were being so nice to was not only lying out of her ass but like said these things. You, would, you wouldn't necessarily be like, ew, she's the worst, but you'd be like, she's fucked up. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm glad I'm in court talking because <laughs> the prison system may suck, but if at any, in any way you believe there can be rehabilitation or at least preventative, you know, help, you say something, right? At least she gets counseling. But uh, anyway, um, so yeah, these, these girls kind of just go through messages some of them are really hard. They're like, I have no friends. No one likes me. I'm alone. And then we find out later that she tells one of the friends that she was, she has tried to kill herself. And again, we don't know if that's true just because we don't know if anything's true, but also because Michelle has like a 50, 50 track record of telling the truth. Um, I also found it. Did you find it strange that like, we didn't really learn anything about her parents like at all? Yeah. I don't know how much of that was just that we, the documentary couldn't find that much out about her parents. Right. I know they, they didn't want to talk. I know yeah. they refused to talk, but I could, I, 
a family friend you would think or somebody one of those girls might be able to be like yeah the house was it was a good house it was a bad house i did some sleuthing and, and all i really found was that um they were just really interested in covering up all of this and acting like everything was fine. And that attitude of everything's fine is actually the worst thing, worst thing for her. Yeah. And it makes me think that that was what was going on her whole life. Like you're fine. You should just be fine. And I, I don't know about you, but I felt that way a lot when I was growing up and I was having a lot of issues and even from myself, it was like, you should just be fine because I grew up with the whole, like, oh, we don't want anyone to know our business. Like, we don't want anyone to know our problems. We just want to be polite to everybody, which is not how I live now. But, you know, that's hard to break. And so, like, for instance, I mean, regardless of anything else, we know she's hurting after he's dead, right? She's continuously texting him. She's not doing well, but her mom is still having her go to prom and the Disneyland trip. And since at that point, so I looked it up and she was never incarcerated um, during the pretrial or anything like that. So she was out. Um, the only restriction made, because she's a minor, the only restriction made on her was that she could not be on social media. And so her That's mom... Fair. Yeah, it is, except that her mom took over her social media and posted, look, she's at the prom. Look, she's at Disneyland. Look, she's happy. She's fine. She's not a murderer. Like, which cool. only which only made it worse because everybody else was like, what a monster. She's at Disneyland. And she, you know, so they don't seem like they're very woke. <laughs> uh, and to, to put it lightly, I mean, I'm not saying I don't feel for them, but it doesn't, I just don't think she had any support at home for what was really her real needs no it didn't sound like it yeah and just i keep thinking about that um baseball game she organized for him Oof, after he died yeah. that like wasn't even in his hometown like, oh i know she's friend. like yeah she's like it has to be in plainville because that's where i live lol and his his brother his best friend is like this is supposed to be benefiting mental health awareness on his behalf it's not even in his town and everybody there is your friends but again i'm like is that heinous or is that deep immaturity yeah you know or both i mean i don't i don't think she's all there like i don't we don't know yeah we don't know how young she started developing mental illnesses you know like she totally could have mentally paused at a very young age i feel that way i feel that she comes off very young yeah um again like almost like she doesn't understand how this happened um it's a weird Again, it takes you back to that delusional disorder, which are, I know there are many types, but did you listen to Dr. Death? No. Okay. Well, it's not important, but, um, but he, I mean, it, the story's important, but like, you don't have to have listened to it. But the man who's on trial for all these botched um, spinal surgeries, basically, the creepiest thing about it is that he didn't seem to understand that he was a terrible surgeon somewhere in his mind he was doing the right thing and all these bad things were happening for other reasons and it wasn't until he went to trial and his superiors actual really good neurosurgeons were saying here's where he fucked up here's where he fucked up here's where he fucked up that he was like wait i'm a bad doctor like even though people had died like that's how compartmentalized he was and so it's like she people's brains can do that they can compartmentalize so maybe she compartmentalized his death like it wasn't real and then she compartmentalized their relationship because it was convenient and she got just so mixed up that she really wasn't in control anymore 
I mean, it, it was not like she tried to cover her tracks at all. No, she didn't even delete the text from her phone, which, you know, they had no! this wouldn't have done anything, but. I know, but like, I, that, I don't, it's one of those things where it's like when a cop's behind you and you know you're not doing anything wrong, but you're like, yeah. oh God. <laughs> like, I, any, the thought of a cop reading any text of mine, and I, I yeah. have no thoughts of homicide or suicide or really anything, um, is just to, like watching him across the screen. I'm just like, God, what if something happened and I died and then just all my texts are just in a fucking documentary and it's like the dumbest shit I've ever said or you know whatever. Like they have the recording of them asking you to take her phone and she sounds so surprised. Yeah, because she's like really like in her role as this be- grieving girl. So I yeah. think when they come in, she's like, "Oh, I'm the girlfriend, and now the cops." Ha- that would happen on Glee, right? The cops would yeah. talk to me. So I think she's like, she has her whole fake story. Like, I think I talked to him that day. And like, I just really wanted to help him and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I didn't know how bad it was. You know, a bunch of lies. And then they, they, the funny thing is she unlocks her phone for them before they say they have a search warrant for it. She's yeah. like, can I have it back? <laughs> so yeah. a teenage question. That would have been me at like 14. I know. Taking it away? Yeah, like... But um, I need it. Yeah, but I really have to text someone. Um, (laughs) Right, and so then it starts to dawn on her, like, oh, this is not about me in the way I want it to be about me. Yeah. Right, and and it took... This is normal, but of course it took a while for them to conclude their investigation and actually take it to trial. Especially in a case like this, it makes sense that it took a long time because they, the prosecution really had to have like a tight case. Otherwise, it would have just gotten thrown out. The defense was constantly trying to throw it out saying she didn't break the law. But I mean, I think because of the nature of her behavior and the fact that she was so influential over him, that wasn't ever going to get thrown out. Personally. No, I don't think so either. Yeah. I mean, I don't know anything about the law, but it just doesn't seem like it would have. Right. And that's what they say, too. They're like, it's not always about the law. It's even though we don't want emotions to run our decisions, they do. And that's why her lawyers opted to not have a jury and to only have a judge. Yeah. Because as as was explained by, I don't know, um, I think that one of the policemen who discovered uh, Carter said it was a smart move because you get a group of people on a jury they're not going to know the letter of the law they're going to know what they feel so they're going to go with their emotions more than they're going to go with is this technically against the law whereas a judge obviously knows everything about the law but they got an emotional judge that guy was crying a lot did you notice that yeah i did sad yeah really sad documentary (laughs) oh it's tragic because it's like there's no even when she gets sentenced i'm not happy i'm not furious i'm just like okay. I I just kept thinking about like, not that I'm focusing on her more than the victim, but I kept thinking like, how is she going to keep going? Like when she is out, like, is she fixable or is she always going to be kind of not an adult is my question. I wonder that too. And like, like, can she change her name? Like she's been so much What is she going to do now? I'm sure she can change her name. And quite frankly, she can change her face. Like when she's a little bit bigger, she looks like nobody that I've recognized. When she's skinny with long hair, she looks like uh, Misha Barton. 
And then <laughs> when she's skinny with short hair, she looks like Kristen Stewart. So, like, I think she I could... loved that haircut she had at the end. <laughs> yeah. At first I was like, is that her coming out? And I was like, no, wait. <laughs> she was free. <laughs> she was free. That's why I had to look up to see if she ever got booked before them. Because I was like, I don't see where she's getting her hair and her tan done. If she was, like, you know, yeah. serving. But I had to check, double check because when she is sentenced... She is sentenced to two years, two and a half years, but he considers 15 and a half, 15 months served. So I guess that's just because of the trial. Yeah. She, she wasn't locked up. So, uh, anyway, so yep, guys, she gets sentenced. <laughs> um, I mean, again, it's not really satisfying. It's not really about that to me. It, I, you do want, I did want to know like the details. I knew that she had gotten sentenced, but I wanted to know the details and I liked that they showed the judge explaining like, okay, what she did the night of that was, or what she did leading up to that night, that was bad. Okay. But it doesn't prove that she's guilty. What she said to him that day leading up to him going out there and getting in the car really fucking bad, but doesn't make her guilty because he still turned that thing on. But her telling him in the middle of him looking for help and trying to escape. And we, we have to assume being, you know, woozy, off of what he's already inhaled her telling him get the fuck back in that is responsibility according to the judge and so that's the manslaughter and so because it was that moment i suppose is why he no he said it was her age he said i don't believe that her age or her mental illness excuse any of this like that's not a reasonable you know defense but he said i believe because she is still young there's more of a chance of rehabilitation which I appreciate from a judge because we don't hear that a lot. Of course, she's a white female, but still. Um, he says, you know, so he downgrades the sentence. And as I mentioned, she did not even do a full year. So she's out. She's been out, hopefully quarantining. She's been out since January. And I don't know where she lives. But we are, I did, did you know about the show? No. Okay, so Elle Fanning is going to be playing her that is such good casting. I know, right? It's so funny because my sister and I were just talking about Elle Fanning on the last episode. And I love it's, Elle Fanning. Uh, yeah, me too. And she is going to be, it's going to be a Hulu show. I know you don't get Hulu, but. <laughs> I'll find like, it. Don't worry. Yeah, just, you'll, you can find it. Um, that's so weird to me that you guys, you can't have Hulu in Australia. It's ridiculous. Um, is it like you can't even log into it? Yeah, it just doesn't exist. Oh my God. If you go in and try and like sign up, it's like, you do not have an American credit card. We will not let you. Ugh. And it's well, like, we're trying to give you money. I know, right? Fine. Okay, we're too good for Australian money, I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyway. We didn't, we didn't have Netflix till like five years ago. Oh my God, that sucks. Yeah. That's lame. Well, yeah, I'm sure you can find it. Or I, I can, I don't know. I'll record it. We'll figure it, it out. Or something. We'll figure yeah. it out. <laughs> um, but yeah. Thinking, I kept thinking about that, Um, the journalist we talked about earlier, how he kept he said how in this courtroom both parents want a verdict where it's not their child's fault. Yes. And how that's, you know, it's, it's both of their children's fault. They both have responsibility of it. Right. Right. Both, both children do. And, and then of course there is a somewhat cloudy picture of what Conrad's life was like right up to yeah. leading up to his death. It sounds like his dad was married or was dating a woman who was not respectful of him and he didn't really have a place in life it felt like so i just 
There are a lot of factors, right? His dad admits to hitting him. Yeah, but he also says he would never, he wouldn't change it. I'm like, oh, really? Your son's dead and you wouldn't do anything different except beat him up again because he didn't want to put something back in the fridge or something? I mean, that's just not okay. I I got bad I bet he's one of those guys who's like, my dad hit me and I'm fine. And it's like, he did. That's what he said. Well, he didn't say his dad hit him. He said, uh, my dad made it known that if I were going to hit him, he'd hit me back. And I'm like, okay, your dad is like 70 or whatever now. I think times have changed. And also, I don't think that's what happened. I think he flipped out on him and beat the shit out of him because you don't have to beat the shit out of your kid to show him a lesson. Mm. I, I don't know. I just, maybe they did fight, but maybe the dad deserved it because this, the girlfriend was being such a bitch and he wasn't defending his son. I'm sorry. I just, at that age, oh God, you're just so, and with depression, you're just so impressionable. And I can't imagine having a father who starts dating someone who's, who calls me a piece of shit. And then when I'm upset about it, hits me, you know, yeah, just like, I know I'm a woman, but I, that doesn't really make any difference. It shouldn't. It absolutely should not make a difference. This whole no. boys will be boys thing is bullshit. And I, and I think that was a big part of his depression, too, is that he felt like he had to be this masculine, you know, what were they? Like, ship harbor people? Like they, Yeah. <laughs> they did boat things. I didn't really understand. Uh, yeah. But I think what they did was... <laughs> I kind of understand. So they live in... Um, they live what I like to call under the nose of the seahorse that is uh, Massachusetts. No one calls it that. I was just looking at the map and I was like, it looks like a seahorse. Um, and so <laughs> just below Boston. So there's, I'm assuming there's a harbor and have in his town. And, um, and so, yeah, that's what they do. They go out on either crate boats or fishing boats. I'm not entirely sure, but they also have speed boats and, and you know river boats and all that stuff so that's just their lifestyle um and it's a bit rugged and i think he, he even says i was so happy as a kid i don't know why i can't get that back and then again it's like ding 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 like chemi- chemicals and he yeah. also says there's no serotonin there which just makes me think like oh you knew that but you didn't know that you could change that or you thought that because it hadn't changed because of your you know citalopram that it would never change. Like, cause I've been through like five antidepressants, yeah. you know, you can try different ones. And yeah. And I take actually a sister drug of Citalopram Ooh. Lexapro. Um, oh yeah. But it's like, I, you know, I, I never had averse side effects, but you're right. It's not uncommon that people have those, especially if you're mixing meds and you're bulimic, like, yeah, if you're bulimic, your whole system is fucked. Like whatever medicine you take, it's either going to do nothing or it's going to f- hit you way too hard. And if she, yeah, like if she's in that manic state, like it, it changes everything. And that's really interesting that you had that ex- same experience at those same drugs. That that to me, the fact that mm-hmm. you just happen to have had that experience is like, well, then it should it is valid. And I found that psychiatrist to be very sincere. I I yeah, valued I him. Too. I liked him. I thought that he, he wasn't like trying to say that she never did anything wrong. He was just saying, I can't make sense of something that doesn't make sense. You know, you guys are, you're, you guys are creating a story. I'm just telling you what I see, you know, and people who are intoxicated aren't logical, especially if they're involuntarily intoxicated for a long time. So, uh, yeah. The I actually, other day. 
the other day I told my dad I needed some serotonin and he goes, is that a clothing brand you like? Oh my God. You're like, I wish. <laughs> yeah, dad, just going to go to the store and buy some serotonin and worry about it. <laughs> that's so funny. Cause my sister and I, that's mm-hmm. like, that's like our shorthand with each other. We're just like, serotonin <laughs> or like uh, or um what is the other one cortisol when you know they freak out when you wake up like, too much cortisol <laughs> i'll be like take it out of it here <laughs> so yeah we're it, but i i feel you like we're well versed in it and now thanks to us our parents are well versed in it but yeah yeah way back in the day they there was no talk about that in my house no and, neither yeah, and I don't think, like, I was specifically told not to tell people, like, when I had gone to therapy and stuff like that. This was a long time ago. My parents are not like that anymore. Like, they've come out of their shells, and they've really come to understand self-care. Um, but because of fear, my mom had this whole thing of, like, we don't talk about things with other people. We don't talk about money. We don't talk about medicine. We don't talk about feelings. It's like, okay. So we talk about the weather. That sounds great. Um, but yeah, I, I can imagine that probably both of them were going through somewhat similar situations. And he says, he says they weren't star-crossed lovers, they were drug-crossed lovers, which I don't yeah. think is a directly applicable metaphor, but still I get what he means. <laughs> like yeah. their, their brains were responding to each other. And again, it's that folie deux, it's the madness of two. Like yeah. you got one person going off the rails, someone's going to catch on to it, but you got two people and they're only talking to each other. You're, it's, you're dangerous. Be, it's dangerous. I mean, whether it's, um, you know, a couple of murderers or just some teenagers that don't know what the fuck's going on. So, yeah. And I just like, I'm not trying to bash antidepressants. Like I need my antidepressants to function. Oh, same. But, but yeah. like, you just have to be careful with kids, Very. you know, like, the brain chemistry is so much different as a child, like a teen, but still a child. You need to explain thing. the first drug you try might not work properly. You might have to try a different one. Or you might have yeah. to also have mood stabilizers or you might have to, you know, have yeah. different dosages. It's just, it's hard. And different combinations. Sometimes yeah. the combination can be the problem. Exactly. Uh, right. I know. And doctors aren't always super like thoughtful about that stuff. No. I remember... One time when I was, I think I was 17, the doctor was like, oh, well, we'll give you this. This is an antidepressant that I can prescribe. Um, it might help with your IBS. And he gave it to me and I found out it was trazodone. Later I found out that's a freaking tranquilizer. Yeah, I was going to say, isn't that a bad <laughs> It's really bad. And I stopped, I was like, why am I so tired? <laughs> like, Jesus. I know. So obviously I stopped taking it and that wasn't my doctor. And so I... Ever since then, I've only worked with an actual psychiatrist. But yeah. the things that doctors are like, so is it I mean, not not every doctor is a good doctor, you guys. <laughs> Just yeah. putting that out there. Just like not every anything is a good anything. So, yeah. So I feel like I'm, I'm leaving stuff out. What do you think? It's okay that you covered a lot. Yeah, I know. I just, I guess I expected it to take longer. <laughs> it was Maybe. like a long documentary. <laughs> it's a long documentary, but a lot of it is slowed down and the effect is great. Um, you know, you just see the text conversations. Bing, bing, <laughs> bing, bing. And it's eerie and it's good. Um, and I think the biggest thing 
that I liked about this besides the theme, which was really good, <laughs> uh, was the fact that it had the power to really change my perspective. I didn't think that I was going to have a big different perspective on the second go round. So the second go round is when we learn pretty much everything about Michelle's life, what she struggled with, and um, and about this whole delusional issue that she has with Leah Michelle, and also about how long she spent trying to convince him not to take his own life um, and how really wrapped up in it she got, how not so great he was at times. Um, I mean, it, it doesn't negate the fact that she did all those weird, creepy things, um, but it just makes those weird, creepy things feel like a sign of mental illness to me, which I was sort of surprised that the judge didn't even acknowledge, but perhaps it wasn't as important for him as it was to set a precedent you know yeah i agree um and I, the thing that really struck me is at the end when they get all michelle's tweets up and then the last one on the screen mm. is the one that says um everyone says it gets better but sometimes it just doesn't or something like that yeah and it's like that's really sad because when someone kills themselves yeah it doesn't yeah. <laughs> you know there's no getting better from killing yourself no and and maybe she thought it would help her i like maybe I, she didn't I also think she just didn't, doesn't, or at least didn't not have the ability for forward thinking. She just didn't. Yeah. She had, again, isn't that a sign of being manic? Yeah. Um, you're just whatever, saying whatever it's, comes, you need to come yeah. out of your mouth to get what you yeah. want. Or to, to have an effect or to desperately try to make things work. I don't know. And, you know, I wonder if she'd ever even known someone who died. Probably not. And that's another thing. If she's emotionally immature, she's already young, right? But if she's so emotionally immature, she may not really have a real concept of death. Like, yeah. like a small child, you know, a small child, like you, below seven years old, usually uh, might say, you know, so-and-so died there in heaven. And they'll be like, okay, so-and-so died there in heaven. But when do I get to see them? You know, it just doesn't compute. Yeah. Right. And so it's possible that that, yeah that she doesn't, I mean, if she doesn't live in reality in some ways, then it's possible she doesn't live in reality in that way. And also like their discussion about hell and the devil and how they'd seen the oh, devil. Yeah. It's like, they were both tripping on something. Like, <laughs> I, they, yeah, clearly, if nothing else, clearly the meds were not helping. So if, if nothing else, they needed to be reevaluated, even if they weren't causing insanity. But I was, so when I was 16, when my friend killed herself, and I remember being, like, so upset about it, obviously. I remember being, like, to my dad, why doesn't this feel like when someone dies in a movie? Because mm -hmm. that was my only experience with, like, I hadn't even lost a grandparent at the time. That was my only right. experience with death, and that's what I thought it would feel like. Yeah. And I just had no idea it was going to feel like what actually grieving feels like. So, you know, yeah. you just have no idea until you experience that. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, especially if it's somebody young. And it's yeah. someone that's your friend. Yeah. Um, it's not, like you said, you, grandparents die. And of course that's sad, but usually, I mean, ideally it's expected. Um, yeah. And then to know somebody peripherally that died is one thing, but to have someone that's actively in your life and then they're gone, I, pff, it's, it's, it's brutal. It's a constant stab for a long time. Yeah. yeah. Right. And I think she, I think she absolutely exhibited that, that that's how she felt after it really happened. And she said herself, I keep calling him like he's going to answer because there's this whole part of her brain that's like, no, he's still there. He has to still be alive. And that's also the denial of grief, but she's going through it. 
She's going through grief, that's for sure. And she certainly sobs at her trial. So, yeah. Which sort of was like, I guess, the least awkward she was. (laughs) Yeah. On stand, or on, not stand. She didn't go on the stand. Um, You think she should have? No. 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 I think she... I think they knew that she was not going to be able to have any conviction and that she was going to accidentally just agree with what the prosecutor said. Yeah. I think you know so what I mean? Fair. I mean, we're just talking about her mental state. I'm sure that they evaluated her to see if she could. And then they were like, mm-hmm. um, and they had pretty good. I mean, I thought they brought a pretty good case without her testifying. It's sort of like they didn't need her to because everything was in text. Yeah, that's true. And the only point would have been for her to say, I didn't tell him to get back in, but maybe she didn't even want to say that because maybe that's the truth. And she was like, I'm not going to lie. Maybe she doesn't even know what's the truth. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. (sighs) Yeah. Anyway, don't watch this documentary if you don't want to be sad. That's my advice. (laughs) You know what, though? I had the worst morning and I was like, you know what? This is going to be a good day to finish that (laughs) bad documentary and just like... (laughs) feel it because like the sky is all like black here because of smoke it's not it's not close to us but it's so high up in the atmosphere that it's turned the sky orange all day which is really upsetting (laughs) like dark so all up until like i don't know 3 p.m it looked like it was the middle of the night Mm. um yeah and and so i had to go to work and then i just had a bad day and so i was like i'm just gonna go home and be in the dark (laughs) <laughs> talk about this dark shit and I was like at least it'll give me some perspective on my bad day <laughs> no one told yeah. me to kill myself at the start of the year we had the fires weren't anywhere near me but um we had like smoke everywhere every day and it was horrible same that's pretty much the same as it is for us yeah, yeah. well I'm glad they weren't near you and I hope thanks same for you yeah thanks I hope they stay not near you and yeah not near me <laughs> who knows it's the world's great right now it's yeah it's great it was a hundred something in colorado the other day i had no idea what that means it was oh sorry how do you do temperature (laughs) we do it in um celsius i think that's like 40 something degrees hold on fahrenheit to celsius okay if it is 101 okay so it's 38 celsius that's hot and yes and then all of a sudden it was four celsius it started snowing the next day i know the world's ending (laughs) seriously (laughs) anyways guys (laughs) what did we learn i learned that teenagers shouldn't be in relationships yeah or have phones yeah that that teenagers need to be monitored on their phones that's what i mean Friends were talking about this other day, actually, and we were like, none of us should have had the access to the internet we had as teenagers. <laughs> like, no, that was a mistake. Totally. I have several clients now that are, you know, either preteen or teenagers that are, I think they're all on the autism spectrum. Yeah, all of them are. Um, and I have like a workshop with them about this because it's like the internet is dangerous. And yeah. it's funny how some of them are eager to get on there and some of them are like, I'm. I'm afraid of it, you know, it's like, so, yeah. Did you see the whole, there was a video going around TikTok of a man killing himself? I did not. It was real. Yeah, it was like, yeah, a real event, man, I don't know how, because I didn't see the video, thank God, but a man live streamed his suicide, and then someone uploaded it to TikTok, and it was getting so many views, it went viral on TikTok. (sighs) 
No, but I'm not. And it was like a day before they took it down. That's awful. I remember that happening on Facebook a few times. Like there was a guy who killed his girlfriend, shot her in the back like three times. And he posted a picture that was like, sorry, but that's what you get onto Facebook. Horrific. Unreal. Yeah. And that's, again, an example of how people are like unaware of how inappropriate it's like they're in their home writing something so it's secret but it's not it's everywhere even if you send it to one person like i have my friend like that's like been sending me i would never share them like screen caps of all this conversation with his friend and i'm like you're lucky i'm honest (laughs) (laughs) guys talk about weird shit um anyways you know what i mean like it's just yeah it freaks me out it's always freaked me out ever since i i don't know i guess ever since smartphones because I'm like 10 years older than you. So I didn't, <laughs> I didn't have, um, I had the internet in high school, but it was not what it is now. Like I didn't yeah. have YouTube, for instance, or anything like yeah. that. So yeah, this year my state banned um, like mobile phones or cell phones in um, high schools mm-hmm. or schools in general. So now kids can't bring their phones to school. Thank God. Yeah, yeah. I think here you're not supposed to, but everybody does. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I don't know how well it gets enforced here. I think it would depend on the school. Well, yeah, it's the in California on the West Coast, pretty much of America, we don't have schools with lockers, I guess, unless you're in a rainy area. It's like yeah. we don't have indoor schools. So security is not really a thing. It's like yeah. a series of buildings. Um, so do kids just bring their backpacks to, to class? Yes. We, we mean, weren't allowed to do that backpack. at our school because we weren't allowed to do that at our school because it was a tripping hazard. <laughs> They didn't care about us at my school. They were like, yeah, just lug it on your back and then walk home like a camel. (laughs) What I had to do sucked. And my mom was like, get a rolling backpack. And I was like, mom, (laughs) you you have no idea. (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, high school sucks. But we didn't learn that. We knew that. Well, high school sucked for me. Sucked for me too. (laughs) Okay, right on. Woo, high school sucks. (laughs) Okay. Uh, did you have anything you wanted else you wanted to say? Anything else no. in your notes? I think we covered it all. Yeah, um, we we yeah. kind of did like a like a blitz like of all the whole thing, but it just <laughs> all like the documentary. Yeah, it's great. It just all meshes together so well that you don't have to pick it apart. It's all just this one. There's two sides, sort of, but it's kind of like it's one story still. Yeah. Um, it's it's just that it's like a wide lens and then a then then like a tight lens and they're like okay this was not exactly what, what it was sold to be yeah so that said I mean I guess we'll try to see if we can keep track of her in the modern world I heard for her she there was no appeal like she her conviction stands so she's a convicted felon um and right no that's not is, I I assume so. is it a felony well you don't know you don't know. why would I know <laughs> I don't know. I don't um, know. I'm excited for the Tulu show, though. I'm definitely yeah, gonna... Well, I managed to watch... Um, I found Little Fires everywhere, just illegally, so I'm sure I can find this. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, I'll see if I can... Can you sign in to Hulu if you have an American account? I don't account? know. Maybe. You could use I have mine. a hand. Oh, thank you. Yeah. We'll see. Um, when is it? Did I accidentally close it? Oh, no. Here it is. Let's see. Uh, okay. It was announced on in august recent yes or this was written in august but i don't think it's gonna so probably us next a, year 
Yeah, I would imagine. I really so, like Yoke Fen- Fenning. She's a really good actress. She is. Yeah, she kind of usurped Dakota a little bit, huh? Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I was literally I just even, talking about this. <laughs> I don't know what Dakota Fenning's even doing anymore, but I'm like, I've seen Elle Fenning in like five things this uh, year. I think she's made her money and she's probably just trying to be a normal person, which is what oh, I would do. Fair enough, yeah. Yeah. I wish I'd been a child star so I could just surf off that money now. <laughs> I know. My sister was just talking about, um, do you remember the movie Matilda? The yes. movie version? That yeah. girl, she was talking about her and how oh, apparently she's, right. she, she's on Twitter now and she's super funny and I was like oh and my sister's like I wonder what happened to her I was like she probably had a normal life which is good that's probably why she's down to earth so yeah I've read her book it's really good oh I didn't know she had a book yeah it's basically about that. her life um yeah and she just like quit acting when she was like 13 and then had like yeah. a relatively normal life but was able to like pay for NYU out of pocket yeah see that's the dream see I guess <laughs> if you grow up if you grow up in New York or, or something you're just like you know you're going to have to try to be famous if you want to afford college. <laughs> God. I'm so glad or, I don't live in America. Yeah, yeah. Luckily, I graduated mostly, I graduated from a state school, so I didn't. Nice. It's still really expensive, but, you know, at least I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Okay. Well, thank you so it's much, fun. Matilda. Yeah, it thank was. Um, and I would love to have you back. And I thank promise you. to be better about scheduling. <laughs> oh, good. So feel free to shoot things my way if you think I will. they'll resonate. I mean, you see, we have very similar tastes and very similar experiences. So I think it shall be easy to find more. And awesome. did you have anything that you wanted to plug or no? Uh, just my Instagram. It's at okay. strawberry.matilda, spelled M-A-T-H-I-L-D-E-E. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.